How is it going, everybody? This is a very interesting, like, echoey sound for me. It's funny, I used to teach fitness classes, and we always had, like, the Britney Spears mic, and this is somehow way more intimidating, so just bear with me. <laughs> so, Pastor and John and Joyce are obviously not here today. They are still down south with my brother and his family. I can confidently say we had a good Christmas together. Uh, it looks like I know most of you, if not all of you. Um, but I am Sophia Logan, and my husband is Alex Logan, and he's usually up here playing the guitar. I usually teach kids' church once a month there in the back, but I have been part of Gateway since Gateway's day one. I think I was about 16 or 17 years old, um, and it's not past me that there are people here who have known me that long. So it is, again, I'm comfortable up here, but also it's an interesting challenge. Um, I was also informed that every time I say interesting, I sound like my parents. So. And that could be positive or negative, what interesting means. Um, but my goal today is to share what's been on my heart and hopefully encourage discussion among yourselves. So let's start with prayer, just briefly. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to bring your scripture and your word ahead of us. Um, and I just ask that you keep our hearts and our ears open to your word. In Jesus' name. So if you'd like to open your Bibles or your apps to Mark 12, 28, and just kind of hang on to that spot. I shared a version of this um, at Alaska Bible College back in November, uh, but over the last couple months, it's really kind of marinated in me, um, and it's what I'm taking into the new year. So I love New Year's resolutions. I love goal setting. You might not be that type, and that's totally okay. I think this is applicable anyways. But this was like a perfect place for me to just kind of launch into what I am looking forward to in the new year and looking forward to tomorrow, whether that's a new year or not. I'm very goal-oriented. I love outlines, and I love really understanding the process. If you were to boil down Sophia's personality, I would tell you that my approach to all things is sort of this idea of how how can I make it better? How can I make it more efficient? Um, if something's burdensome or doesn't seem to really be working, I want to make it work a little bit better, a little bit smoother. I can tell you 100% uh, that that's a strength and it's a weakness. It's not necessarily a good thing all the time. I approach my personal life this way, my relationships this way, I approach my job this way, and I definitely approach Jesus this way which is why I can tell you from personal experience that religion alone is never going to do what you think it's going to do, and it is not satisfying. When I was at my furthest from Christ, when I was walking in the opposite direction, a little bit intentionally, a little bit not, I had kind of given up on God's process. I had substituted my plan for his, and I was miserable, mad, and really frustrated at God because he wasn't following up on his end of the deal of a process that I had invented. Needless to say, it did not work out. What changed was learning who the person of Christ was and what makes him completely different than anything I had ever experienced or I had created. What's amazing is that God didn't change who I was, my personality. He didn't change the fact that I loved processes and I loved goals. I loved to make things efficient. I simply had to, had to learn how to understand his will in that. So when I read the good news according to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, I really appreciate it. It's a book of action and relevancy. When I read Mark 12.30, which is where we're going today, this is my jam. It's like a cheat code on how to do life. 
So let's read together. Starting at Mark 12:28 all the way through 34. One of the scribes came up and heard them arguing and recognized that he had answered them all, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear Israel, the Lord is your God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, well said, teacher. You have truly stated that he is one. There is no other beside him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And then no one dared any longer to question him. There's a lot I think we could glean from this passage, which is probably pretty typical of all of scripture. I like to think of it as one of those movie scenes where the underdog is suddenly motivated to just shut down the competition with an ingenious comeback. That's kind of what's just happened here. Jesus had been quizzed by the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees and finally this scribe, and it's been one after another. Jesus has answered them all, and he gets the final word in the most gracious and straightforward way that Jesus can do. From the beginning, Jesus states, the Lord God is one. He is complete and whole in himself, and there's unity in the person of God. We, his creation, are created to be like him, whole and in unity. Jesus is quoting Moses back in Deuteronomy, and I really appreciate kind of understanding where Jesus pulls different pieces. When the Israelites had come through the desert, Moses had recounted all the commandments. He had reminded them that this was a continuation of the covenant, and it's better than all the sacrifices and all the laws ahead of them. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It's not so much a list of how to do things as it points to awareness to a whole being. I think in Greek, we pretty much understand it the same way we would do it today, heart, soul, mind, and strength. The heart is your cardia, it's the muscle or that central point of your body, your soul or your psyche. It's what makes you different from the person next to you who also has a heart. It's your mind or your skill or your ability and your strength. Again, another way of saying your, your skills or your strengths. We have within, this, within us this ability to mirror God in wholeness and in unity. And I can read that and I can stop there and I can be fantastic. Leave me alone and I'm a great person to be around. I can be a great Christian when I'm by myself. So, <laughs> at my core, I am an introvert. I could happily stay home 80% of the time with a select few people and be as happy as a clam. But the second commandment or the foremost commandment is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think it's hard to love our neighbor. I think most of us have this built-in understanding we don't want to hurt someone else. I'm a firm believer that most of us will go out of our way not to do that, and I've seen that. I think what makes this really difficult is the ability to love ourselves and then mirror that in our neighbors. At my job, I spend the majority of my time doing one thing, and that's talking to supporters. 
I am the community outreach liaison for HeartReach, and my primary task is to build effective fundraisers. That might not sound fun to you, but if you like goals and processes and outlines, it's kind of fun. I don't raise the funds. I help you connect with a story, a person, or a reason for wanting to partner with an organization like HeartReach. And I'll tell you this. It's not hard to tell a story about a baby or a child. They're innocent. They're sweet. But the baby isn't really the story. It's the mother and the father. These are the people hurting and in true need of that connection. right? So that's part of my job, is to build this story and to connect the dots. And I can tell you 100% it's not always easy for me, because I don't find things in common with every person. But I do know this. The world right now asks to be loved. Our culture demands that all of us offer tolerance and respect and love without bounds. At the same time, there's a limited capacity for this kind of love. We know that anxiety is at its highest and violence is kind of hovering over every situation, especially in the public realm. In a world still trying to comprehend what free love would mean, we have the least resilient and the most dependent generation in front of us. But this isn't new. Greek and Roman culture, I think, is really the root of where our American identity comes from, and Jesus knew this firsthand. He told us that to love the Lord your God is one. Love him in your oneness, your wholeness, and then you'll understand how to love your neighbor. The world can't find love because it's lost the definition of love. When I can understand that, then I can approach my world, my job, my relationships, in a whole different attitude. I can find my neighbor in a whole different way. I don't love myself because I'm inherently good. I love myself because it's a great place to start, because I hold value. I was created to be loved and be loved in unity, in community. So if you're a New Year's resolutionist, this is a great place to be. If you don't care about New Year's resolutions, you can start tomorrow anyways. Tomorrow's a great day. You can come back to this at any time. If you're like me and struggling to comprehend how to honor yourself and how to honor your neighbor, I invite you this one thing. Ask yourself, where does my definition of love come from? This is a question I'm taking into the New Year's, and this is the thought I leave you with. Thank you. <laughs>